Packing the Gibson, the poorly timed Mar-a-Lago special. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. Hey, Amir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know where the present where are the president the Presidential Records Act comes from? Why we have it? I think it's is it it's from Nixon? Yes, it was a response okay. to Watergate. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, <laughs> I've been reading a lot about uh, this history lately. There was a really great set of podcasts on that by uh, MSNBC called Slow Burn. The first season of Slow Burn was was very mm, much about okay. this stuff. And I think that they did a really good job of explaining it. But to summarize, there was the Watergate break-in, which a set of uh, Nixon associates or uh, employees of the committee to re-elect the president mm. broke into the Democratic National Committee and stole a lot of documents. It Oops. wasn't the only thing they ever did. They... <laughs> Daniel Ellsberg, the guy who released the Pentagon Papers, uh, one of the other dirty things that they did was they broke into his therapist's office in an effort to get his medical records to discredit him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were called the Plumbers. Um, <laughs> so Woodward Bernstein, the whole deal happened, right? Mm-hmm. One of the big things was that Nixon had recordings going on in his presidential office, mm-hmm. and there were tapes that caught him red-handed that we know about now like between what was finally turned over and what they were able to the national archives was able to restore relatively recently within like the past 10 years or so Mm. we know he was completely incriminated there was essentially no saving grace right right yeah so he was he left office running out in front of the door that was going to hit him on the way out despite his um (laughs) his amazing defense of the president can't commit crimes Yes. Uh, well, you know, that might come up again. This episode. <laughs> uh, so the Presidential Records Act in 19 was passed in 1974 by Congress. All government records are owned by the government, not mm-hmm. the administration. And the Presidential Records Act really clarified that even internal deliberative things, even not like superficial communications, the, for example, the letter that an exiting president would leave for the incoming president are also considered presidential records. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So are all going to the National Archive for posterity for the sake of history. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell a couple of stories about some previous presidential libraries. The Lyndon Baines Johnson Presidential Library uh, has a kind of an interesting story, which also involves Nixon. So when... Lyndon Johnson was running, was the election that he lost to Nixon. Just before the election, they were in negotiation with the South Vietnamese and the North Vietnamese to get a peace agreement. Mm, okay. So we know that at least some Nixon associates, uh, Anna Chenault, the, the head of, of the Republican Women for Nixon Committee, uh, was known to have communicated with the South Vietnamese embassy. Right. And they did some other wire wiretaps to prove that Nixon's associates were saying, hey, if you don't agree to this peace deal, you'll get a better one if Nixon gets elected. So, again, we know this to have to have occurred. Mm-hmm. What happened was Lyndon Johnson died in 1973, very beginning of 1973. Mm-hmm. And one of his associates took all of the evidence that they knew that Nixon's 
folks had done this. And they didn't release it because they were like, if Nixon gets elected, it will undermine the U.S. administration. Right. Uh, even though they knew he had done it, and and this was there's a a law called the Logan Act was passed, which was passed in 1799. Related to Wolverine? No, it was it's related to uh to <laughs> doing foreign policy for the United States in an unauthorized way, and mm, how okay. that's illegal as shit. <laughs> yeah, like if you're a mutant up in Canada. Yes. Well, mm. I mean, he's technically Canadian. Uh yeah, that's true. So, 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 um, I think that he would, uh, have to take that up with the queen and <laughs> I'm not sure. I know Logan was around for a long time, but that might still have been the only monarch he ever knew. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I mean, haha, but wait, maybe no, no, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think canon in the lore, he was older than that. He was, he was not that much younger than the United States country, if I recall. Correctly. Right, yeah. like two, two, 200 years old when the comic books were talking about that in like the 80s and 90s, uh, the whole Weapon X arc and everything. But <laughs> back to actual history rather than, you know, fake history. Um, <laughs> so he had this envelope that said, do not open until 2023. So 50 years hmm. after Lyndon Johnson died and okay. five years after basically it happened. Well, no, sorry, I guess it was closer to four years after it happened because mm -hmm. uh, because Nixon exited office in 1974 um, mm, okay. after his reelection, um, shortly after his reelection, actually. So it was in the LBJ presidential library and it had this thing, do not open until 2023. Mm -hmm. Well, the archivists got curious and opened it in the 90s <laughs> which is why we know about this story now right rather than you know in another few months at least mm -hmm. and this in and actually some of the records there were classified because they were fisa well they were what would now be fisa warrants okay that was wiretap intelligence related stuff they were wiretapping the south vietnamese embassy mm -hmm. so like that was classified information so it wouldn't be true to say because we're going to end up talking about the whole mar-a-lago um seizure and right how we got to that spot after we talk about classification and and how that pertains to infosec right not to spoil anybody <laughs> you know stop listening now or, well, I think that's the interesting part, but hey, we're going to keep going. Um, so it's not the first time a president kept classified information, but it was wrong then too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Nixon Library is actually a little interesting. They built the library in the 90s with donations as all presidential libraries are, but they're all usually part of the National Archives system. They had resisted this and they had a bunch of exhibits that basically downplayed or tried to change the narrative on all of the Watergate related stuff that he was oh, really? doing. Yeah. Mm. So they negotiated a deal for it to enter the National Archive system in 2007. Mm -hmm. And they spent three or four years redoing those exhibits, even with uh, one of uh, Nixon's, I think, grandsons in on the board talking about these things. Oh, okay. And when you read some of the, the, the things about this, they basically said it's important to history to tell the whole story that he did good and he did bad and uh, he overreached and it was a tumultuous time. And that's maybe right. 
some people would wouldn't agree with that, but I think that there that Nixon's a more complicated figure, and always on the face of it was Watergate and abuse of power and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. right, and a lot of the early reading I did about espionage and things like that, a lot of the really good writing about it about those subjects when I first got interested in the subject were things like Watergate, mm -hmm. and um, so never painted as the good guy but as we know he had put in uh, a um, national health care law mm -hmm. he expanded the environment or he, i think he started the environmental protection agency okay uh foreign policy wise he was very important to stabilizing relationship or relations with communist china mm -hmm. which we may have some misgivings about that, but has been a very important uh, thing economically for us for right, decades yeah. now. So him as a statesman versus all of the things that his hubris, hubris is probably the word that I want, uh, right, yeah, yeah. makes him a more complicated figure than I originally had him as. Go figure, life isn't yeah. black and white. <laughs> right. It's just shades of gray. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people that laud the things that i think are are very distasteful about nixon's actions and his legacy mm -hmm, right uh so the historian timothy neftali was in charge of the rework of the nixon presidential library mm -hmm. the reopening of the presidential library was delayed several months in 2011 okay because of what the articles that i was reading called nixon loyalists <laughs> uh <laughs> We're protesting this great. In fact, I didn't get which senator it was, but um, they were threatening the Senate confirmations of a uh, deputy archivist to not have it opened the way that it was, the way that it became. Interesting. Okay. So, presidential records, the National Archives, this stuff is not entirely without controversy or hmm. resistance by former presidents. Right. Yeah. So, let's talk a little bit about national secrets and then we'll get to the classification system mm -hmm. the first official secrets act that's anything kind of like ours was in the united kingdom in 1889 mm -hmm. and it says okay. pretty much a lot of the things that you would think it would say that people who aren't authorized to go into buildings boats docks all kinds of stuff basically every place you could think of any kind of place you could think of or tried to obtain documents from any of those places, even if you were allowed to be there, mm -hmm. was under the penalty of law. Okay. It was revised in 1911. But the interesting thing about that is about the same time, using very similar language or derivative language, the U.S. made a similar law called the Defense Secrets Act of 1911. Yeah, okay. Uh, and this is kind of the first national law about government secrets uh in 1917 the NSP, the first espionage act was put in place mm -hmm. and it, it used a lot of the same language and that's it's been revised to some degree but that's essentially where we start with a, with a lot of our the force of law behind anti-spying right not just the obtaining but leaking of uh, uh, or uh, um passing on of classified restricted material mm -hmm. right in 1951 a little bit after world war ii was the beginning of what we currently have 
as our classification system. Okay. Everybody's seen some references to top secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's basically three major levels. Confidential, secret, top secret. Mm. Confidential will usually have a background check. It's it, a lot of times that's like that might be like purchasing related information. Right, yeah. As an example or personnel information might might be um in confidential, although a lot of that nowadays is for official use only. Mm-hmm. FOUO. You don't need a cl- a full clearance to to view that stuff, but there is handling, there's marking, and it is still subject to the same declassification procedures that we're going to talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Secret is defined as harm to the U.S. and top secret is grave harm to the U.S. And then within top secret, there's a few code word thing. They're they're uh, SCI. You might hear that stands for special compartmented information. Now. For all, for all top secret uh, or all secret information, in fact, this applies to confidential as well. In addition to being allowed to read it, having gone through the the major clearance process, you need to have a need to know, which is an mm-hmm. active use for the data, which means that somebody has to sign off and say you have the active need to view this information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just because you have a clearance doesn't mean you're authorized to look at particular things. And then SCI is not, the clearance is not hugely different than top secret, but you have to be read into a project, which is a, more complicated than a need to know. Being being read in requires some tracking on the um, project side. And and then there's code words after that. Um, there's several of them out there, but one of them that I, I recall is uh, it was Yankee White, which is the White House clearance. Mm, okay. So clearances, how do you get them? There's a system called Equip that I have you gone through a public trust clearance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Equip uses the same system, mm-hmm. um, but you haven't been through like a, through getting a secret or top secret clearance. No, never had an need. Yeah. I, I've been through it a few times um, mm-hmm. because as a contractor slash consultant, I've worked for more than one agency and gotten basically every different agency you do. You have to go through the clearance process again. Right. Yeah. I've been interviewed for them in terms of like being interviewed for someone else going through it. But yeah. Well, nowadays, the Office of Personal Management, what they're supposed to do is do the investigation, have have an a currently valid investigation. And they mm-hmm. have to redo those every five years or so. Five years. Uh, I think that it, that there are some circumstances, in which case that will be a shorter. Uh, but I, I don't believe it's ever longer. But what's supposed to happen is... If I move from, let's say, the Department of Defense to the Central Intelligence Agency, mm-hmm. the standard things that everybody thinks of, right, right, right. What they're supposed to do, and this mostly happens, especially in the more civilian agencies, not intelligence, not defense side, is they take that investigation and they re-adjudicate it. So basically, they have their normal reviewers review what what they found and what was said. And mm-hmm, say, right. are we willing to accept this? For example, one of the things that I admitted as part of my clearance process was that I had, as a young adult, played around and messed with things on the internet that maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> Your heart. Even, yeah. Well, even as a defensive specialist, even somebody who's worked professionally as a blue team guy for 25 years, mm-hmm. that's not going to say I never played with anything, but 
it would not be completely out of bounds for an agency to say, no, we don't want to grant this person a clearance because they've done these things. Right, yeah. I've never had that problem, but there's an example of what might happen. And it's a fairly extensive thing. They're going to go through every place that you've lived. You have to say, here's somebody who knew me there. You have to disclose a, a lot of financial information, associations with people with non-US persons, a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It can take a long time. Uh, I've heard it taking, even successfully, more than 18 months. It can yeah, go, yeah. yeah, it can go less than six, but like it's a pretty substantial background check. I've done background checks for financial institutions and they are nowhere near as invasive. Right. Now, people have argued that there's some issues with kind of what the standards have been in the past and may still be that they're looking for people that meet a certain conception rather than being based in actual intelligence problems. Right. And that might be true to some degree, although I think over the course of the time that I've had a clearance, I think that that's gotten better, uh, especially related to um, the drug use to some degree and uh, alternative lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Right. They, when I got my first clearance, they did a, it was, it was at the Department of Defense, I will say. And they did a great, like probably the best briefing I've ever had about all the things about a clearance. They actually had examples of collections, people who had been approached for collections, people who had leaked data out to places they, they shouldn't have mm. to talk about all like real world examples of all of these things. And right. like some of the things that they're a lot tighter about than they used to be are alcohol use and basically violence, DUIs, that kind of stuff. Mm, okay. Those are things that I don't think I'm breaking any secrets by saying are more correlated with irresponsible behavior. Yeah. So classified information itself are as marked as you've probably seen in movies and TV. And there are places there and, um, Usually places are access controlled. They might be open secret, which means that you can have secret information on your desk. Mm -hmm. If you're not present, you have to at least put the cover sheet on it and right. you can't like leave it, leave it on your desk. You can like go to the copy machine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And one of the controls is that at the end of the day, somebody is responsible for patrolling, looking for everybody Make sure that people aren't logged into their workstations. Make sure that none of the no uh, data has been been left out and and, mm. and stuff like that. Uh, all containers of that are actually locked. They have these really robust file cabinets that are safes. Right. Yeah. That everything's locked before you leave for the day. And that's secret stuff. Top secret stuff has to be pretty much in a secure compartmented information facility. The network that's there is going to be air-gapped from an unclassified network, except mm -hmm. under very specific circumstances. Some of that networking is interesting, but probably too far in the weeds for us to talk about right now. <laughs> yeah. They are shielded, mm -hmm. or they're supposed to be shielded. My experience is that that shielding requirement came a little bit later, and there are still skiffs out there that aren't shielded, mm -hmm. which presents some problems uh, because they'll be in this physically located in the same places that you want wireless. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Access points, and it ends <laughs> up being a little bit of a problem. But importantly, like places I've worked have had what they call vault like facilities, which are file rooms that have 
bank vault type doors on them. Yep. The access control is very it's very is very prescribed like what where you can store these things and the procedures for opening the door and logging the opening of the door and confirming that the door is closed at the end at, at the end of use and that kind of thing is all very regimented mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah i remember i toured um mm-hmm. a general dynamics facility in uh scottsdale when i was there for mm-hmm. work at one point and they had a bunch of like different little skiff areas that we walked past i remember seeing like all the um the unlocking like mechanisms and everything like that. I was like, oh damn, okay. The the locks themselves are very interesting because um, they're not straight combination locks. They're they're dial locks, but they're specially made for the GSA for handling classified material. Mm. You can only see them from above, and they're and you know how a regular dial lock is a certain amount of distance, right? That's not true for those locks. Oh, really? You can't figure it out based on just looking at how far the, how far the dial travels. Interesting. Okay, they're pretty wonky. I've never I've never seen anything quite like them, um, and <laughs> they can be a little tricky to use. Uh, 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 right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But so for things to be classified, you have to uh, usually have to start from a classified place. You say, and and you start a draft of a document saying, "Hey, I'm cla- I'm I'm provisionally classifying it at this level." for this reason. And sometimes you'll escalate, you know, correlated information as classified. And you have somebody who has a role of classifier Mm -hmm. and they are the ones who are keeping track of what gets classified. They review to make sure things that things are classified at the proper level. Right. Right. There are some valid criticism that they tend to err on the side of overclassifying rather than underclassifying. Yes. I've heard that many a time, (laughs) but the important thing is that when the document's created, the record of its classification is created. And this is all paperwork, which is part of the deficiency of the current system because paperwork gets lost. Um, mm-hmm. Logging is imperfect. But let's go with currently the ideal case uh, because a lot of these things I feel are solved by modern information technology. And I think that that translates really well into how a lot of people are actually going to end up using a lot of these ideas of classification, of data classification. Right. So when the record's created is important. What level it's at, who has who has handling, who are the authors, that kind of stuff. That metadata is supposed to be captured when the document's created. And so mm-hmm. as part of the cover sheet of, hey, this is classified, is also when it was created and, and what the document name is and stuff like that. And those things are supposed to be canonical. You're not supposed okay. to be, Renaming a document is actually kind of a thing. They have to have mm. a record tracking all it all the way back to its original creation. And like if you have a report that synthesized information from multiple places together, that has to be all referenced in the document. Right, right. So you know where everything came from and why it's classified at that level. Well, on the other side, declassification. Even if there's no dispute on whether or not something's going to be declassified, it still has to go through a declassifier because it has to be logged. It has to be marked about when it was declassified mm. and the markings need to be, they are not removed. They are crossed out. Mm, okay. They're saying, Hey, this used to be classified and it's not anymore. And this is when it was declassified. Right. Right. And then you may be able to say, Hey, the absolute authority, which has been represented by, by Trump and his lawyers is the sitting president. They can mm-hmm. say, Hey, this document declassified. And that's, relatively straightforward somebody has to go through the operations doing it but they can make that assertion they 
I need to do it in writing and it needs to go through the, the through the process. But that's how it would happen. But what if right. somebody said, declassify everything having to do with this person that is not otherwise secret? Mm. That requires judgment and reading by the declassifier role. And that's okay. part of the reason why this is why this is a complicated process, because it's usually never not nearly as simple as declassify this document. It right, is, right, yeah. Declassify stuff around this, and then you have to have somebody make a judgment call on all of those records and find all of those records. I mean, the, and again, this is all paper, which is part of the fun. And the reason I go through all of this is that this is the original like data classification system. Mm-hmm. But we need data classification systems in modern information security. Right. And there are some things that I don't think we do a great job at generally. Using cloud system, using, you know, SharePoint, OneDrive, Google Docs does the same stuff. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be uh, vendor specific, but <laughs> when something gets created, there's a record of when it's created. All the metadata of who has access to it and when it was accessed and all and stuff like that is all built into the system. Mm-hmm. One thing that I don't think they do a great job of is they will log when it's modified, but they won't get a hash. They won't give you a hash in your logs of what the hash was and what it, uh, what it is when it was saved. Really? Really. Hmm. I've had some issues with that because I would very much like to uh, have that information at various times. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But another real issue, another thing that I, because special handling for PII and health-related data. You may have want to do special handling for trade secrets mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, or for various financial and legal reasons. You may want to keep things in a particular classification. Right. And there are systems out there, data loss prevention systems, DLP systems, that will passively look at the data that comes in and out of your network if you can put the observation at the right places. Mm-hmm. The thing is that they don't work very well unless you do a really good job of tagging your documents. Okay, makes sense. Like you could write a regular expression, and many people have, and they're pretty good. Or regular expression or processor that looks for social security numbers or credit card numbers. Right, yeah. But when you're talking about contract negotiation information, if that document isn't tagged, it's a lot harder to build a system that will identify that Mm -hmm. generally. We don't do a good job of in business that we can take a lesson from in the classified world. Is right, that they yeah. do a very strong job of, of identifying the the scope of documents, and it's worth looking. There are a lot of document management systems out there. The one I'm frankly most familiar with is the one that that is an option in Office 365 for mm-hmm. digital rights management as it applies to documents created. Okay, it's got a whole PKI attached to it, and the documents are encrypted in the cloud. And they're decrypted when they're at when they come to you, and they have all of the classification metadata built into it, and hmm. they are encrypted at rest in the cloud. Right. All of these cloud providers will say, "Hey, we encrypt it. The disks are encrypted. So if mm-hmm. anybody yanks right, right. the drive, you won't be able to get it." It's like, yeah, but you're using the same authentication system as the authorization system, right. so yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. separation there. If you let somebody in, you let them in. It doesn't matter if you encrypt them on the drive. If what I'm worried about is how you get to the documents through the interface. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's way down in the weeds about the 
U.S. government uh, classification system and how it might relate to what we do every day. Mm. But let's talk about Donald John Trump, <laughs> former president of the United States. Mm. Before We're going to set the stage on this, that typically a, a, a former president will be extended a top secret clearance for their own interest or if they're going to be consulted about things that happen after their administration. The Biden oh, right, yeah. administration explicitly did not co- extend that courtesy to former President Trump. Exactly, yeah. And executive privilege, as it exists, one is it is a protection of information in the executive branch from the judicial branch or the congr- or the, or the uh, legislative branch. It's, it was not built to serve to keep data from other parts of the executive branch. But yes. also, it is the prerogative of the sitting president. Mm-hmm. And again, the Biden administration explicitly did not extend executive privilege and the ability to assert it to the former uh, administration or the former officeholder. Right. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the things that have been said as potential defenses have some problems. Um, We were just talking about declassification. Mm -hmm. The markings are really important. The process is really important because otherwise you could say, oh, this document that I'm taking home with me is fine because the president said it was declassified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, 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 trust me, don't worry. Right. So, like, the chain of custody is really important for for this stuff, just like it is in any evidence collection. Mm-hmm. So, there's no reason for me to basically redo what the Washington Post did. So, this is Washington Post's information gathering. There's some editorializing in this, but these are the facts as I've been able to understand them and triangulate back to other sources. So like I didn't do a full fact check. There are a whole newsroom where two guys that do this as a hobby, (laughs) (laughs) but I did, I did check some stuff to uh, anything that that struck me as, as worth checking. Mm -hmm. So I trust it. You go with what you, with what you need to. So January 20th, 2021 was when Donald John Trump's term in office as president ended. It was a chaotic transition. Um, In fact, just like the one before it, as much as the Obama presidency really tried to be as prepared as it could because of the chaos in its transition, Mm -hmm. to be prepared for for a transition. Um, Well, also, it kind of assumed that it wouldn't be transitioning to Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but everything that I read at the time and everything that I experienced at my customer site is that they very much tried to be prepared for the Trump administration. The incoming Trump administration wasn't ready for it. And mm. likewise, coming out, the Trump administration was not as cooperative or proactive about uh, transitioning as right. the Biden administration would have liked. We were saved to some degree with that because of Biden's experience in the executive branch and ability to pull together folks that had enough experience to make the transition relatively smooth. Mm -hmm. But it was considered another fairly chaotic transition. So in May 6th, the National Archives sent to the Trump team uh, a guy named uh, Gray Stern we know that this was a chaotic time and a chaotic transition, but we think you guys might have some presidential records that should be actually here. Right, yeah. So they asked for this several times over months. In September, mm-hmm. they engaged with the White House counsel. 
that communicated with Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, about documents. They got a hold of somebody. Trump's lawyer informs the archives that aides have identified some of the missing documents, including some, kind of some of uh, Trump's greatest hits, like uh, <laughs> the so-called love letters from Kim Jong-un, mm-hmm. um, the uh, famous uh, hurricane map that was uh, doctored by, mm-hmm. by the sitting uh, president at the time about Hurricane Dorian. So they knew that those, those things were identified. So about a year later, January 17th, 2022, a contractor working for the National Archives arrived at Mar-a-Lago and get, grabbed 15 boxes of material and bring them back to the National Archives. They made it back to the National Archives the next day. And they looked at it and they're like, there are news clippings and public information in here, but there's also classified documents. Right. Yeah. And going back to what we were saying, those were obviously not kept in a certified facility or handled properly, even if everything else was correct. Well, I think it's come to light too that like one, their defense was, uh, you know, and still ongoing is uh, attorney-client privilege. And part of that is that some random documents that might be attorney-client privilege were just sprinkled into the classified material, which I'm assuming is a a huge no-no to be like just mixing documents together. Yeah, mixing those documents together is a huge is a huge no-no and the Department of Justice did attempt to separate that stuff out and one of the things that I find difficult to understand in the way that this has gone is that they have definitely identified which of the documents was marked as classified for investigation. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how those could possibly be privileged as attorney client documents. Those are obviously government-owned documents. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that part makes zero sense to me. So from examining stuff in those boxes, they're like, hey, something squirrely is definitely going on here. Right, yeah. So the archivist told the chairwoman, uh, Carolyn Maloney, Representative Carolyn Maloney, uh, a Democrat of New York, who is the chairwoman of the uh, House Committee on Oversight and Reform. So the House Oversight Committee, Mm. how you usually hear hear it referred to. She was like, this is a thing that somebody needs to know about. And she went (laughs) right to the top. So Melanie asked for more information. This is all happening in like beginning, middle of February. Mm -hmm. So they were allowing some of Trump's representatives along with the White House to review the documents. Uh, There were two lawyers, uh, Philbin and Eisenberg, uh, who were lawyers that had clearances. But mm, both okay. of them said when asked, hey, do you guys want to review this stuff for Trump? They said, we didn't know anything about these documents, and we really don't want to deal with this any further. thing is, both of these guys had the clearances necessary to actually do this. <laughs> right. That, that's, a, and that's interesting. I had not heard about that. I had, um, but I've been watching Legal Eagle, um, yeah. who has like basically a video per day on this stuff almost, um, it seems. And he kind of referenced the fact that his two Trump's two lawyers, I cannot remember their names, have kind of implicated themselves in this entire thing yeah. because they've said, oh, yeah, no, I was there. Like, I did a sweep of everything and I didn't find anything like, you know, and all this stuff. And when the FBI comes to you and asks a question, they already know the answer. They're just kind of seeing what what you say. Well, they they know 
a chunk of answers. They know mm -hmm. enough. That they know that you're in substantial trouble. They are yeah. hoping that you tell them things that they don't know mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. to some degree. They don't know everything. They're not. Mm -hmm. You've heard me on this podcast and you will hear me again <laughs> on this podcast have not the greatest things to say about the FBI all the time. Oh, I, yeah. No, no. I, I have no good things to say. But uh, And sometimes it has to do with how aggressive they are about investigating various things mm -hmm. uh, or how timely they are. So they're not supermen and women, but when they're on you, they have done their homework. Yes. <laughs> you, you can you can trust that, that they that that when they pursue something, it is not in a half-hearted or or lackadaisical way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of my contention is some of the things that they choose to do and some of the things that they don't choose to do. But the, let's not talk about that right now. <laughs> the, the villain of our story is not the FBI. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> so the documents that they had related to a bunch of different special access programs, basically stuff that requires an SCI code word type clearance in order to get access to, including information around nuclear material, information around uh, human intelligence operations, mm -hmm. uh, stuff related to um, the FISA wiretap authority the foreign information surveillance act right so this is real intelligence stuff this is real like national security stuff that is not trivial and in the case of both of all of that information even if he had tried to wave his magic wand to declassify it those things are specifically in the acts that that uh, authorize a lot of that activity say that the president can't just declassify them. They have to go through a review process at the departments in which they were created. Yeah. So basically, while there was various attempts by people associated with Trump to basically say this is, you know, a storage dispute or that the documents were declassified, it's not really supported by any data. And even the if there was a paper trail related to, de to declassification and you suspected that it was either lost or malicious activity by the Biden administration, that mm -hmm. the Trump administration would be able to produce the declassification documentation that it was ordered in at least one instance. And they haven't supplied any of that information. Right. Yeah. They have tried to assert executive privilege time and time again when executive privilege is not extendable under these circumstances mm -hmm. so like the upshot to me the most important thing and the thing to remember when you're designing information system that needs to deal with restricted information is that the procedures are everything yep. it's a paperwork slog but if you don't have paperwork you can't say what really you can't say what really happened mm -hmm. right in fact one of the problems of the u.s system is because it was all paper paperwork we don't have perfect tracking of every document that's ever been created. I was seeing on Deviant Olam, uh, who, if, if you follow him, um, does a lot of physical physical intrusion stuff. He, he okay. he's had a lot of great talks about how to mess with elevators and and get around alarms and pick locks and uh, and stuff like that. And one of his relatively recent videos, at the time of this recording, anyway was he did a recording with authorization of opening a one of those filing cabinet type containers mm -hmm. that was locked and nobody knew the nobody knew the combination of oh okay cool they believe that there was classified information in that and he showed this cool drill box that kept all of the uh the 
debris that came from the drill mechanism and kept the drill like perfectly positioned so that Mm -hmm. it could be a really clean job it was really slick but the guy at the end the person who was who was custodian for for that information was like oh there's a lot more in here than i thought (laughs) (laughs) um yeah well so like the big advantage of using a lot of these cloud-based systems that have a lot of the logging and metadata directly with the documentation that you can query on its own Mm -hmm. means that a lot of the extreme difficulties we have in handling the mountain of information that's been created in the last 70 years since the classification system was put in place in 1951, we have the ability to not fall into that trap as easily. Right, yeah. And it's important that when you're designing a system like this, that that's one of the things that you absolutely think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, to try and tie this back to uh, to actual infosec <laughs> education <laughs> rather than just, hey, look at what hey what what they did. Like I said, Legal Legal has done some really great things. Uh, I think uh, um, Law and Crime has done some has done some good analysis that I that mm. I've liked about the issues with the special master pleading and the venue in which it was done, right. um, along with the standing of a lot of the arguments, but. I was trying to focus mostly on the handling of the information and why it's hard to apply the arguments that have been presented in Trump's defense to the situation that we find ourselves in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have, as again, we've talked about misgivings about some of the things that our government's done. I continue to work for them. I think I continue to think that security for them is important and Mm -hmm. that the rule of law is extremely important i don't know where we're at when we just do what we feel like doing and uh so i think that the rule of these laws is actually quite important and we can't just give them a pass in fact i my personal opinion and this came up in an episode that's coming up next season about people who have actually been prosecuted for mishandling of classified data right versus all the things that we looked at there this is an egregious case and you look at the fact that it has been a year and a half since things were identified. The first communication was in May of 2021 that he was treated with an extraordinary amount of care and given every benefit of the doubt. Yes. Yes. That's been amazing to see. So that's, I don't like that because I, I, because I, I I really believe as an infosec professional, the time of exposure is, is a really important element. Um, mm-hmm. That's the thing that I think in all our incident response stuff has driven home. And my biggest misgiving is how long it's taken and what it takes with the mechanisms of government to deal with something like this. Because if it's the worst that we could conceive of it being, you know, human intelligence information being made available to the enemies of the United States. Mm-hmm. Closing this barn door that seems to be happening after the horses may have gotten out. Yeah. And that's tough. All of the things that we've had to deal with in order to to have systems that that have some enforcement of these things, all of the, the secret activities that have not been the greatest for our country. And I and mm-hmm. like there's hard to dispute instances of that. And we do it all so that we can we know that we're going to get hit with abuses of power in order for us to have 
the structure that allows us to 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 keep some of these secrets and when it come when the rubber meets the road we see this and you ask kind of why do we have to put up with con intel pro when we can't shut the door on things like this yeah yeah exactly recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon.